0: This is Mary Pope Osborne, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Have you ever been to Disneyland? Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket.
1: I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser discs.
2: You are
3: listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast This week on the show What I find Among people who are differently abled Is they often Have extraordinary clarity About what matters what gives us joy Sustenance in this life And we tend to judge them based on the yardstick of the things that are easily measurable, you know, that particular kind of, let's say, you know, analytical intelligence, if you will, which is pretty much the only yardstick that most people use, because it's the one in which transactions are the rest.
0: Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors.
4: Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast and Facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast and everywhere where podcasts are available to you. Like iTunes, that's my
2: favorite. Yeah, I like the, <laughs> uh, I like Google Play now. iTunes is not True. my favorite for anything, so I use Google Play. See,
4: I don't have an Android, so I haven't been able to get into that well, store I, or anything.
2: Oh, uh, I just use it on on desktop I because I, I use Chrome. So, okay, uh, okay.
4: Well, it's I have credit, too. Maybe I should look into that. Yeah, you
2: should look into it because it's super easy, super intuitive if you're sitting at your computer a lot. So when we first started this podcast, we were primarily
4: Disney-focused. So you safe to say Disney is a big part of uh, our lives and things that we love, right? I would say that. Is that the case for you? <laughs> I, I think that's, that's
2: a fair statement,
4: yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, I remember the first time our guest today, I remember the first time I heard their story. It was on the radio here in Canada. They were on a CBC documentary type program. And Ron Suskind, who wrote who wrote the book that we of the documentary Life Animated that we are talking about. He told a story and I remember hearing it and I immediately connected with it because of the Disney element. But just because of how, you know, how awesome the story is. And Jamie came to me, he's like, have you ever heard of Life Animated? And I was like, why, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it's, it's a fantastic docu- documentary if you've never heard of it. Jamie, maybe we can talk a little bit about what it's about.
2: Before. Uh, yeah, like, like you said, the documentary was based on Ron's um, book, which was a memoir. Um, right. he, he, he was a, he's a journalist. He's worked for The Wall Street Journal and a few other, you know, reputable um (laughs) outlets such as that and so but this was this first book that was you know a memoir a personal book and what hit you know in a nutshell this their story is um he and cornelia we, we interviewed for this episode both of them separately so it's two different interviews that we have but he and his wife cornelia they had a a son um and for the first few years of his life everything seemed quote unquote normal and he was you know developing as he should develop and progressing and hitting all the milestones and then when he was three years old one day, the way they describe it is that the, the boy that they knew just suddenly vanished. Uh, and what had happened was he has a uh, relatively rare form of autism, which is it's it's known as regressive au- autism. So some kids are born with various conditions associated with um, autism or being on the spectrum somewhere. And it's it's prevalent and it's um, you can see it throughout their life. Some some kids develop um, the, those conditions as they grow older, but they're they've always sort of been there. And then there are cases such as Owen Suskind, who um, they didn't notice any signs whatsoever until suddenly it was like, you know, he I don't want to use the term like phrase like he fell off a cliff. But it was it was like suddenly like they hit the wall and it was it was everything just just happened at once. And he completely lost his uh, ability to speak. He was he turned into a silent child. couldn't Couldn't speak and couldn't really understand speech when spoken to him. So any sort of interaction or communication that he was able to have previously with anybody in the world was suddenly not there. Right. Um, and that was when you know they, they they took him to specialists. They took him to doctors, and they found out that he had this re, you know regressive autism. Um, it was a fairly severe case, obviously. Um, and what the book and the film is about is that over time, over the following few years, as they tried to, you know, get to the to reach him essentially, and to try to find the boy that they knew for the first three years of his life, uh, he had always had a, a an obsession or a fascination with Disney animated movies. Um, and ultimately, he used those movies and the dialogue that he had memorized from all the movies that he watched again and again and again. He used that as his his doorway back mm-hmm. back to be able to communicate with his parents and his brother and and the world around him. So he used the dialogue that he had memorized of just character to character. Um and that was how he learned to basically talk again.
4: Right. And and, and we got to screen the the film Life Animated before we watched it. I don't think it was released yet. I don't even I don't know if it's still really if it's released publicly yet, is it?
2: It's 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 kind of slowly rolling rolling right. out. It has been released theatrically. It's mm-hmm. it started out in just a few cities, a few art house theaters, okay. and now it's it's a bit wider now. Right. So I'm linking to the uh, there's a website for the for the documentary, and they mm-hmm. list all the cities and places. Okay.
4: Where, well, Jamie and I got private screenings, which woo-hoo! is which, which was really nice because I love going into an interview, uh, knowing the su- you know what I mean, knowing fully the subject matter, not just a synopsis. Yeah. And. I really enjoy I'm a documentary fan and I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not I'm not over exaggerating when I say there was points when I watched it where I was laughing and smiling because Owen is such a great you know he's a great fantastic person to watch on screen and you you laugh with him and then there's parts where you I want to say cry like there was tears in my eyes at some parts and it was it was a beautiful film and the relationships between the family are beautiful. And it's also an award winning film at some film festivals, and I'm not going to list them all, but there's six different film festivals of one, but most notable is it won the directing award, uh, at Sundance.
2: Yeah. Which That's where it awesome. premiered. Yeah. It premiered at Sundance. So, yeah. And you're right. I mean, it is, it's kind of cliche to say, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you know, but <laughs> yeah. it is, uh, it is, it covers a lot of uh, range emotionally. And even though it, it touches on some pretty difficult subjects and pretty difficult material. And it really does reveal the frustration and the heartache that, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ron and Cornelia and their other son, Walt, especially felt, you know, growing up and as Owen was growing up and trying to deal with this. Uh, but I think ultimately it is a very optimistic story. It's very hopeful because the film... It doesn't dwell on the years when they didn't know what was happening. It it sort of jumps fairly quickly to how it, he found his voice through the films, and it follows him now as he's a young young man. He's in his you know I think he's in his mid twenties now. Yeah. So it follows him now as he graduates school and moves out and becomes independent, lives on his own, and how he's learning to um, learning to move forward, not mm-hmm. just to come. Up, you know, to 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 come up to be even to where he should be, but sort of moving forward despite all the difficulties that he's faced.
4: All right, so, so we, it, it's really good. Yeah, it's a. Fa- if you get a chance, uh, lifeanimateddoc.com. I think Jamie's probably going to link up to it as well, but that's the website if you want to write it down quick. Um, and we interviewed Cornelia, which is uh, Owen's mother, and we also interview- <laughs> interviewed Ron, which is his father. And Jamie interviewed Ron by himself, so you'll hear that I wasn't there. But (laughs) but there is really a nice glimpse into uh, the movie, the film and how it was made and, you know, just how they went about everything. So we're going to play those both for you right now. Enjoy.
2: Cornelia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I actually just watched the the, the film today um, and it was oh you did I, I did I watched it this morning uh, it was beautiful it was just an absolute treat to watch oh, so you. Um, yeah, I'm really thank hoping, you. I'm really hoping that uh, everybody who is able will get to go see this um, but what I found refreshing about the film though is that Owen is very much the narrator of his own story. You know, this is the the film does not tell the story of, you know, his effect or his relationships with other people. It's really his his story. And he, for the most part, is telling his story. So I'm just wondering how involved he was with both the making of the writing of the book and the making of the film.
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, It was it was a very specific desire of Roger Russ Williams our director he very much wanted to tell this story from Owen's point of view and so many of the techniques in the film whether it's the animating Owens story um, by McGuff the French animation house or using the intertron camera when interviewing Owen so that he's looking right in the camera and also watching clips of films it was all very, carefully designed so that it was told from owen's point of view um owen the the he did owen had no um you know real production input into the film at all obviously he was very involved every time there was a shoot Mm -hmm. um but but this film is is roger's product and roger's creation um Ron, my husband, is the executive producer because they bought the rights to the book from Ron. But we had no involvement in the making aside from, you know, being being in the film, Mm -hmm. uh, not in the direction or the writing of the film. Um, And in terms of the book, you know, we talked. It was it was really at Owen's behest that we and suggestion that we decided to write the book. He said, you know. I feel When he got to be about 19, he said, I feel that people really don't know what autistic people are like, and I'm a diamond in the rough, a Mm. Disney line, and um, I want people to not look away and know who we are. So that was when Ron and I felt as writers that we could go ahead and write about Owen and our family and his life. Um, we would never have done it when he was younger and it would just would have felt very exploitative. Um, so that was, that was really, and so we spent a lot of time talking to Owen about the past, um, and about how he felt he was old enough that he could miraculously kind of reflect about and tell us what it felt like for him when we moved to DC and when he lost language. And he literally remembered what it felt like to not be able to understand any of us which blew our minds um so in that regard you know obviously he was very involved but um ron and i worked on the book together and ron wrote the book and um so that's that's kind of that so
4: uh, what did owen think of the film is he happy with how he was represented did he have you know did he enjoy it
0: Yeah, he um, so Ron and Walter, or rather, Ron and Owen uh, saw the film in rough cut with Roger and the producer, Julie Goldman, in New York. Um, Julie suggested that I not see it, and Walter and I not see it until we saw it with an audience, having had a lot of experience filming people who had never been filmed before. And so we trusted her and did that. So Walter and I did not see the film until we were sitting at Sundance with about 1,000 people around us which was a bizarre experience, but, um, (laughs) Owen, on the other hand, we, obviously, if there was anything in the film that was troubling to Owen, we wanted Roger to know about that. So Owen saw it. And, uh, Roger tells the story of Owen coming out of the screening room and giving him a huge hug and (laughs) screaming. I love it. Mm. Um, he doesn't usually hug people so willingly. So, um, but um i will say he does he he does love it it's very hard for him to watch for obvious reasons with right. the breakup um so he saw it he saw it that day at the rough cut he saw it in sundance twice and he's done many many screening q and a screenings and he hasn't seen it uh, again he doesn't want to yeah um you know so yeah but, but you- he's proud of he's very proud of it and he's proud of his part in it and he and he enjoys talking about it, just not the obvious parts that he wouldn't want to talk about. That sure. people invariably ask about Q and A. So are you and Emily back together? Again? Oh no. Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bring
2: it that's a great way to bring any uh, sort of chat to a screeching halt, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dead <laughs> yeah, yeah, silence and look on Owen's face like are you kidding me? Why did you ask such a question? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> you you mentioned Walter there. Um, and the relationship between the two brothers is it's, it's beautiful to watch in the film. Um, but obviously, you know, as a viewer we're watching, you know, two more or less grown adult brothers in in their relationship right. together which obviously right. probably took many, many years to get to that point. But as a child, I'm just wondering how Walter sort of made sense or how you think that he made sense of Owen's regression when it first happened.
0: Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, we have learned so much about Walter through this process, as you can imagine. I mean, he's going to be 28 years old soon. He's a grown man and has a life. and But so many things he as close as we are and as much as we sort of have always been a a band, you know, there was so much that, that he just never shared with us that we'll hear at Q and A's, for instance, people ask a question and he'll say something that I just blows my, you know, Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to hear usually. And it's also kind of blows my mind that I didn't know it. Um, it was confusing for him, obviously hugely confusing. Um, and it was hard. It was really hard. I, What I say to parents and people when, we, when we're at screenings doing Q&As is they have an incredible relationship. Walter is an incredible young man in so many ways. But he was a typical middle school, high school guy. There were many times when Walter would rather not have Owen hanging around the Little League game or the football game or... Um, and it was tough. It was tough. I mean, he never, because he was a, I, I always think because he was a first child of, with the special needs brother, he never wanted, he would never say it, but it was clear, you know, and, um, and, you know, as parents, we worried that he would leave and, and never look back in terms of Owen. And, um, you know, fortunately that has not happened, but, um he was a normal guy and he struggled and, um, and we tried to help him as best we could.
4: Mm -hmm. So how much of, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jamie.
2: I was just going to say that the the film, um, you know, we, we talked about how it was, it was important for you and it was important for the filmmakers to um, just sort of have the story be told from his perspective, from Owen's point of view. Um, Mm -hmm. it, It does reveal some of your in Ron's heartbreak and frustration over the years, but ultimately the story is very hopeful and optimistic. Um, I'm mm-hmm. just For you personally, how important was it for you to share that story as being one of optimism and hope?
0: Well, I think the most important thing both in the book and the film to Ron and me, it was something that we grappled with and was not an easy decision. Uh, The easy decision to write the book, it was, if we're going to do something like this, it has got to be absolutely honest, Mm -hmm. and sometimes brutally honest. And the reason for that is that it will have no meaning to anyone if it isn't. No one needs to hear some glossed-over tale of, of a kid. Any parent who has a child on the spectrum would instantly know that it was false. Um, So the hard, you know, the hard parts of the film, as difficult as they were to share, it was so important for us to tell the complete story, you know, the joys and the tough times. Um, And I think it's hopeful ultimately because because we found a way to find Owen's joy and to tap into Owen's joy. And to me, the message that I would love anyone watching the film, whether they know somebody with autism or whether they know nothing about autism, it's that finding a child's joy and sharing in that is the most important thing more than any academic lesson, more than that. That's the hopeful that's the hopeful message, I think. Yeah. And that's the thing that that's so important to me.
1: Yeah.
2: There's a line in the film, um, I, I believe it's Ron who says it, is that um, when Owen first progressed, it felt like uh, he was your your son was kidnapped from you. Um, and yeah. Looking back, do you feel still feel that way? Like, do you still look back and say, you know, our son was kidnapped? Oh, from yeah. you? Oh yeah.
0: Well, I mean. No, because of course now we know what we know about autism. Right. I mean, we knew when when Ron's saying that he's saying he's sort of saying how we felt as parents sure. in 1993. Mm-hmm. So you know, we we've sort of been criticized a little bit uh, in terms of the book when the book first came out, and parents of autistic children would say, "What an idiotic thing to say!" Of course, they're in there. Of course they weren't kidnapped, but he was talking about what it felt like as parents who had no experience with autism. Um, So, I mean, I think that when I look back, I don't, you know, people often ask me, when you look back, do you realize now that he had, that there were things, signals that you weren't missing? And I still say, absolutely not. When we moved to Washington and Owen started regressing, it was as dramatic a process as you can imagine um so i don't think you know i wouldn't say he was kidnapped but it felt like we did lose our child the mm-hmm. child that we that we had that we knew you know and and he was um you know his inability to communicate um cut him off from us in a way that was very very painful
1: yeah
2: um you kind of alluded to this. I mean, our understanding of autism and neurodiversity has come a long way since the early '90s. Right. Um, right. And, and this this might be an impossible question to answer, but in what ways do you think that your experience would have been different if this were happening today, knowing what we know in the in in, in about autism in the way that kids react and parents
0: react? Oh my gosh! I, I think it would have been wholly, completely and utterly different because, um, first of all, it took a while for us to get a diagnosis. I mean, not a long, long time, but, you know, there were, for a, a while they thought maybe Owen had a degenerative um uh, fatal disease yeah. um, that's how dramatic it was. So there was that kind of stuff that would not have happened now. I mean if if you if I brought Owen to a pediatrician today looking the way he did in 93 it would have taken them two minutes to <laughs> say, you know here's here's the diagnosis um, So that would certainly have been different and I there just would have been so much more support. I mean I remember trying to find a picture book, to explain to Walter what was happening with Owen. And there was one book, and I mean, I scoured everywhere. There was one picture book that I could find for a number of years. So things like, you know, just community support and understanding among friends. You know, none of, now everyone, I mean, unless your head is in the sand, everyone has learned a lot about autism through the media and all kinds of, you know, books and television and movies. And, um, that, that didn't, that didn't exist back then for Mm -hmm. sure. So it was very isolating, very, very isolating in a way that I think would not perhaps be the case today. Yeah.
4: So now that Owen is a young adult and far more independent than he was as a child, um, does he still relate to animated films on his
0: own? Oh, compl- much much more even than he did. I mean, right. on a much deeper level, mm-hmm. um, he really uses them now to navigate a lot of social emotional uh, life. You know, when he was when he was breaking up with Emily and going through all this heartache, he would pull little nuggets from different movies and 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 not all animated. I mean, he he watches a lot of live action stuff and you know called me one day with the line from batman that just blew my mind i'm not that huge a batman fan so i don't memorize the lines like he does but there's this line that alfred the butler says um uh, michael Kane and owen can do the perfect michael Kane voice <laughs> and he says um why sir do we fall so we can learn to pick ourselves up
1: yeah
0: and owen said to me mom I was thinking about that today, and I need to pick myself up a little better. Mm. And I was just like, oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, the creators of that film could never imagine that a kid would extract that line for So, yeah, he very much does still still use that technique.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. I know. Um, There are... Mm this is it's not an exaggeration i mean there are parents out there somewhere right now today whose children were just diagnosed as being somewhere on the spectrum um if right. you could give them any advice from your years of experience or if you could even you know go back in time and talk to yourself what would you say
0: right um i would say to my younger self i would say relax a little bit. Not that any of us can as parents with kids on the spectrum, but I spent, I think I spent much too much time. And I think this is a natural inclination of parents trying to fix Owen and doing everything known to man to do that. And I finally came to a realization that loving who he was truly loving, obviously we're always going to do what we can do to help our child, but being in a mindset that you're able cap- you have the capability to fix something i think can really be damaging to your own psyche as a parent mm-hmm. um so i would tell myself to back off of that i wish i i wish i had not spent so much time doing that and the other thing i would say the advice that i might offer is to trust your instinct in finding your child's joy that there are so many people who have opinions and they're important and you need them to support and help you. But the idea that you really know your child best and you know where their joy lies and tapping into that joy is in my opinion, the most important thing you can do.
2: It's amazing. And we have to end because um, I know we don't have much more time with you, but I mean, we would be remiss if we if we didn't ask if he had, uh, does he have a favorite film or favorite character? Like, is there one that oh, he just keeps going back to?
0: The $10, the $10 million question. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it's been asked so you, in every interview you, you've, you, you've done. <laughs> no, and he, no, it's been asked to him on stages, and he looks at them and says, oh, I couldn't, I, I couldn't choose one. Yeah. And I say it's like asking who your favorite child is. Yeah. <laughs> but he does. I would say he, he, if you really break him down, he will admit that I think um, the Lion King is certainly one of his favorites. And the character of Rafiki, the wise uh-huh. shaman, is very important to him. And he has used Rafiki in many ways. In fact, he, he had an incredible therapist for many years who we loved in Washington. And Owen made a huge, did a painting for him of Rafiki and called him Rafiki. So, <laughs> so I think that would, be, that would be certainly way, way up on the top of the list.
2: That's awesome. Well, he's not alone because that's an amazing movie. <laughs> Rafiki's a, Rafiki's an amazing Did character. It. I love him. So <laughs> he's made a good choice.
0: <laughs> oh, good. I'll tell Corn- him.
2: Cornelia, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute oh, pleasure. Oh,
0: thank you. Thank, thank you so much, Justin and Jamie. I really appreciate it. And uh, and good luck to you guys.
2: Thank you so much. And good luck with every. Good luck with the film.
4: And
0: that's it for the interview with Cornelia.
4: Next, we're going to move on to the interview with Ron. Enjoy.
3: There's a lot of good stuff out there in the internet attached to Ellen's name these days. So, yeah. So, I tell everybody who's living in the connected world, you know, you know, fire it out, tweet it out, absolutely. Put it as a the in your social media. There's just so much stuff.
2: Absolutely. Where
3: Ellen is. Um, uh, And, you know, uh, you know, viral videos, videos where, you know, and is singing with Stephen Swartz, who's the composer who did um, Hunchback, you know, a great moment. Uh, There's a beautiful one where he's where we're doing an interview with uh, Amy Harmon, the New York Times Pulitzer Prize winning uh, kind of star reporter who also has written about autism, but all sorts of parenting and everything. And she interviewed me and Owen. We did voices for 25 minutes
1: mm.
3: where Owen is just, you know, we know Owen obviously like just about no one else. And, you know, there are times where he's just, you know, you see he's just really fired up. Yeah. Um, and um, and just recently, Owen Owen endorsed a candidate for 2016.
2: Fantastic.
3: <laughs> Throwing his hat in the political arena now, huh? <laughs> Well, I think I think the candidates are, you know, they're auditioning. They they are going to want his endorsement. Uh, <laughs> well, first off, his particular mix of, uh, of uh, you know, burdens and strengths, uh, One of them is he can only tell the truth. Yeah. So that yeah.
2: makes well, him a very funny. valuable
3: this, endorser.
2: This year, in particular, uh, our, our candidates seem almost like cartoon characters. So it seems kind of fitting, right? In a weird way. Well. <laughs>
3: Well, you got it. So what happened was that a Q and A, he was asked, uh, in Cambridge. In fact, at a Q and A, he was asked, you know, what he thought of the candidates. And, and in fact, when he mentioned Donald Trump, someone said, well, Owen does a kind of magic trick, you know, a pattern recognition, you know, that's one of the great strengths of folks on the spectrum. That's why many of them have invented things of consequence or at history. Mm-hmm. Um, is that you know he matches up uh, real life people, Mia Cornelia, his brother, but also people on the landscape of the culture um, with characters in Disney films. Mm-hmm. There are hundreds of them, of course. Sure. And so they asked, "Who Donald Trump? Uh, who would he go with for Trump?" And he took a second, thought it through. You can see he was racing through. Owns yeah. up a walking IMDb, so he's racing through sure. hundreds of characters. Yeah. And he says, "I'd have to go with Gaston." Uh, from Beauty of right. the Trump. That would be—it's uh, it's, it's
2: fitting. It's very perfect.
3: <laughs> it's perfect. It's yeah. Like, in a million years, I wouldn't come up with it. And yeah. I, I've written about politics for 30 years. And yeah. I, you I, would I, never have made that connection, right? It was a perfect moment where you see the heightened capacities mm-hmm. of so many of these individuals who have lived in the discard pile because they don't fit mm-hmm. because they're different,
1: mm-hmm.
3: not because they're less. It's just they're different and. Here, you know, I have watched all the Disney movies, and you know, I'm certainly a noted reporter on the political landscape for the last day, two decades. Um, and I said I wouldn't have made that match, and it's perfect. Yeah. And then Owen elaborated. He said, "Well, Donald Trump gets on. Okay. Well, he he's handsome but insecure. Yeah. Uh, he's a bully." He uses fear of people who are different from him to, uh, draw a mob is what I was saying.
2: God, it's perfect. I, you know, I never and, would have made that connection.
3: Oh, right. And then the last one, you need any thought for another minute. And he says, yeah, and also finally, uh, well, p- some people think he's a hero, but by the end of the movie, you realize that he's the villain. He's
2: a villain. Yeah.
3: God, that's so exciting. Um, so, um. So, uh, so then, I,
2: ha- uh, I have to ask, who was Hillary?
3: Well, it was interesting. He sort of said, you know, uh, Hillary um, uh, uh, faces some of the challenges that Bell faced mm-hmm. by being a studious girl, a girl who loves to read, a girl who is smarter and more um, than many of the people around her. And that um makes her something of an oddity. Right. In her town.
1: Yeah.
3: He said. He says, um, so there's parts of Belle he sees in Hillary. Yeah. Um and he's sort of so he said he said she's sort of like Belle as a grandmother.
2: <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that is wonderful. <laughs>
3: And, he, and then he finished up and he said Trump is like an older Gaston and orangey.
2: An orangey. It's an older Gaston, Orange. orangey, and hasn't learned any lessons. <laughs> Just continuing on the same was, path.
3: That's it. <laughs> so pretty much I think he nailed that.
2: Yeah, and oh, absolutely. Joseph I'd Campbell,
3: say so. I think Joseph Campbell would be proud <laughs> to say, you know, these of course are iconic myths fables yep. that humans have been telling themselves for thousands of years this is the reason because they're, they're not simple tales by any stretch. They're complex, but they fit with the complexities of life yep. and the human endeavor. So Campbell would say, yeah, Owen is doing the big matching game. Yeah. That's why they call it the mono myth. Yeah.
2: Good for him. It's yeah. I don't a, think that I story
3: never, of Abbas. It, it
2: never would have made those connections. <laughs>
3: Well, I want it's to ask you because it's why we're having so much fun with it. Oh, I I, all, I, I the, believe the country, it. The whole country's having fun with this movie.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you you started off there talking about how you know there's a lot of you know viral videos and articles about Owen and stuff everywhere because yeah. of because of the movie and because of the book and because he's yeah. he's been out there. I, I mean, as a parent, I wonder, you know, do you ever feel like that kind of thing is out of control? I mean, I know a lot of parents are. You know they're they're hesitant to put their kid in the public eye because they can't once it's out there they can't control the spin or the video or the article however it's written. Is that worry? Well, you know you?
3: I think that yeah I mean the thing is is that we do control it yeah. actually um, you know um, you know no one has access to Owen except through us really um, and um, and Owen um, you know we. We set ground rules uh, so that, that what Owen, what is out in public about Owen uh, is, you know, what he considers, you know, his best, uh, his best expression. Right. Um, you know, he, he said to us for a long time, you know, the thing that kind of started all of this when he's around 19, you know, he said, you know, people don't see me for who I am. You know, I am more than I appear. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, they see you for who you are, Dad, and they see Mom for who she is, but they don't see me for who I am. You know, that I'm an unpolished gem, I'm a diamond in the rough. Um, And in a way, and then he said, look, you're you're dad, you're a writer, Mom, you're a writer. You know, and it was kind of a, a challenge to us. You know, we weren't going to change him because we decided that some years ago that it wasn't going to work. Owen is a square peg mm-hmm. in a world that's dominated, certainly, by round holes mm-hmm. and those who can fit within them. You know, we decided it it really wasn't working to try to shave off those edges right. to fit him into a, a round hole. So we said, look, what we need to do is we need to support him to become a fuller, more fully realized and successful version of who he is. Um, And that's what we did that worked best for him. Uh, So we weren't going to change him. uh, But then once we started to move into this place, this public place with the book and now the movie, we said, well, if we're not going to change him, we're going to change the world and how the world sees people like Owen. Mm -hmm. And that's actually occurring. Yeah. It's kind of a a dizzy, giddy thing for us, and for lots of people. Yeah. Um, folks like Owen, who are differently abled, are truly being seen with what Proust would call new eyes, yeah. because of of the example uh, that Owen is providing. Um, it has it has wide uh, application, if you will. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing in the theaters, certainly, as people crowd into the theaters. Many of them are so called neurotypical folks who may know very little about autism. Um, and in the theaters as well are folks or families who have someone with ASD who's on the spectrum. The fact is, all of us have spectrum like qualities. Sure. Now. The question is a concentration. Many of the great inventors in history, or musicians, artists, uh, are have spectrum-like qualities, It gives them that Mm hyper-focus, that ability to live within their passions Mm -hmm. um, and eat it and breathe it. Um, That's very much the way folks with autism are too. Um, But then, you know, they go through in that 90 minutes, essentially the process Cornelia and I go through and Walter over 20 years. Because, you know, the thing is, the book and the movie, the thing that starts it, or that that launches the drama is when Owen is hit with the autism when he's about three. And he, of course, changes at that point. But the book, and now powerfully in the movie, is really as much about how we change. Yeah. Um, And then how Owen walking out into the world uh, creates change in the people he meets and as much uh, finds a way on his own to carry himself forward into the yeah. world, seeking what he calls the elusive independent life. Well, that's just a that's a coming-of-age story uh, of universal uh, appeal. Because mm-hmm. at the end, people, when the lights come up, say, I thought he was different. I thought all those people were different from me. Yeah. But they're not.
2: Not so much.
3: They want not so much. They want what, what any of us want. And yeah. They're, and they're trying to find it. And we have to make sure that we don't stand in the way of that, that we in a way support it, encourage it, feed it. When you
2: when you decided to write the book, um, and, you know, and, and to share the story with the world, more or less, I mean, at what point did you feel comfortable like saying, OK, I think now is the time where we can share these experiences and I can put them down on the page and we can share them with the world? Because, I mean, yeah, they're, well, they're very well, personal was, experiences.
3: Yeah. Well, for the whole family, you know, I mean, I think the first step was just, as I said, is when Owen became uh, we would never do it unless Owen was part of the conversation to say, I want this done. Mm -hmm. And in a way he drove that conversation at its start. That was the first thing. The second thing was just the question of uh, you know, is this, um, is this what we want for the rest of the family? You know, I've been very public for a long time. But as Cornelia says, I, I you know, have no privacy gene. I had it surgically removed at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the family, though, have lived lives of traditional privacy. Um, and, uh, and again, it was a family decision. You know, um, I think Cornelia really was the captain of, of that decision making, you know, she's, she's been the, you know, driving the ship Mark household for us. Yeah. And she, uh, she said, uh, with a book, like we could write really together as a family, which it was really a family affair or a movie would that have helped us? Mm -hmm. Uh, meaning she and I 15 years ago, 20 years ago when we were, you know living in a in a place of confusion and fear and you know
2: mm-hmm.
3: and the and kind of a
2: Was there ever a concern a, though The that... kind of
3: pain and the question is yes it would this yeah. book would help would have helped us in this movie if we could have seen this 15 years ago
1: Yeah
3: um so uh that was kind of the the set of uh, that, that was the way that that thinking went
2: yeah was there a concern though that like maybe we're opening things up too much? I mean I'm sure you know you you've written for the web and written for lots of different outlets, so I'm sure you know the ugliness that can happen in comment sections I mean, so was there ever a concern that like you know we open this up to everybody on the internet, there could definitely be some ugliness pointed our in our direction
3: yeah you know you know you know I think that that we have managed to keep Owen's life. Um, pretty intact, you know. It's still one that uh, we all manage together as a family, um, and um, um, and you know that's something certainly we're always watchful for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that that um, you know Owen uh, really doesn't live in that world. Um, you know, he's he's not a person who sits around and looks at web comments. Um, I think, I think what we've found though is, is that, you know, we've been out here with the book and now the movie for showing the book for two years and the movie for the last several months and the movie opening in theaters about a month ago. You know, I, I think that, um, I think uh, that's a, a, forward, um, you know, a path that we, uh, we can manage, um, as a family. And I think, you know, I think that uh, in some ways, you know, what we're doing is something that's been a mantra for me as a journalist. I mean, you know, I've been at this for a long time, and it's, and it's actually at the centerpiece of our family. Cornelia is a journalist too, and and ferocious on the idea of of trusting truth. Yeah, you got to trust it. It's all you got at the end of the day. Sure. And and in a way, there's really so very little to hide. Uh, as to the basic truths that define you, because they're the truths that, frankly, define just about everybody. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of been part of our family's uh, set of ideals as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You um, built. You have built your career in journalism. I mean, you you talked about politics and foreign policy and these things that were mostly external to yourself as an individual and to your family. So, you know, writing the book and then, you know, the process of inviting cameras into your life to make the film and now, you know, talking about it all the time to people like me who want to know lots of things about your personal life. How much of a of a shift did that have to like, was it was it difficult to make that transition from just, you know, writing about, you know, the president and, you know, this happened? Yeah. Um, things well, that, you know, be it, very it, abstract.
3: Question. I mean, yeah, I mean, in a way. You know, um, There was part of me deep down that felt uh, I might have been living in a place of some, you know, a mild hypocrisy, Mm -hmm. uh, asking my subjects across uh, 20 years to tell me everything. Yeah. Um, And some of them prominent, some of them not. And I would say to them, I say, you need to trust truth. Um, And only if you tell me everything will I be able to render you in, in your full context, which is all people really want. Um, you know, truth is all that works, you know, I would tell them. In any relationship in your life that does work, between you and your loved ones, your children, employers and employees, colleagues at work, so you have to trust it. You know, I said that to a lot of people. And um, sometimes it's a bracing moment. And I guess I have just about as much experience with this as almost anybody, you know, when all of a sudden, they are truly known in a kind of fullness. And, um, you know, I'll tell you what happens. It used to happen to the Wall Street Journal. They'd get up early in the morning and wait for the newspaper to hit the doorstep. And they would, and it's usually around 6.30 in most markets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they would just burn until about 7.30, reading the story. Oh my God, I can't believe I said that. Mm. That's my bad side. I mean, what will people think? Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Until about 7.30, because around 7.30, people feel comfortable calling each other in the telephone. (laughs) Certainly by eight o'clock, they do. And then the phone would start to ring. And by uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, most of them are walking around on air. Yeah. No, oh, no, Bob. That's no. That's that's who you are. We love you for that. No, no. It's better they know this story. It's important to you. It's at the center of who you've become. Yeah. Look, we'll manage that. And now it's all out in the open. It's better that way. And I've lived that dozens more, <laughs> dozens of times with subjects, and in a way, we're living that too now as a family. And um and I uh, and 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 it's it's a family decision, but the, like Walter and Cornelia certainly know about this. Yeah. You know, Walt is a you know very able and smart guy. He's 27. Uh, he's you know you know he's, he's a spokesman for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the Elizabeth Warren Agency in Washington. He's a speechwriter and spokesman. Um, so he deals in a realm that I've lived in. Walt's very sophisticated about these things, yeah. and this is Cornelia, who has always been my partner behind the curtain in all the things I've done in public. Mm-hmm. um As for Owen, you know Owen is probably the strongest uh advocate of the truth yeah. He can only tell the truth. It's part of who he is. Yeah. And it's amazing how people embrace him knowing that. It's refreshing. Like, sure. It, 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 that's why the Q and A, they can't ask him enough questions. <laughs> it's just like, we literally have, okay, I've got to go now. Thank you very much. Cause <laughs> he says exactly what he knows to be true.
1: Yeah. And he's
3: gentle. Of course, as people see from the movie.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, but he, uh, you know, he is, he is original again. And this is not, uh, we know this from many, many folks who are what I call differently abled. You know, they live very, very much more than maybe the rest of us without uh, the, the, the cosseting of supposed tos or, you know, the context of what you're expected to say uh, or do. And that's why, um, they have to think it through and um, have to and, and often act quite originally uh, based on seeing so much of a wider reality that the, many of us miss. You know the, again, the way folks who are so-called neurotypical do it is we build from very early ages when we we're little babies really, start building what, what the neuroscientists call perceptual screens and filters that filters oncoming and onrushing reality. Um, and those filters get shaped around all sorts of things, you know, narrative or notion of certain things that are of value and other things that are not. Um, uh, based on that, we decide uh, as all of the information of the world hits us, uh, overwhelms our senses, you know, we decide what to, to save and store and discard. So folks in the spectrum uh, don't have some of those perceptual filters. So they actually see reality Uh, as it really is, more so than the rest of us. Um, That's why their pattern recognition is so strong. Because they're seeing more. Sure, sure. Um, I know this is kind of a neuroscience answer to a more basic question. It's it's perfect. But that's why why people are so interested in the answers that Owen gives. Yeah. And again, Owen looks like one in a million when you see him 40 feet tall on the screen. I think years (laughs) from now, based on the way... Many of our views of the wider society are changing. Uh, people will understand what differently abled means as much as a PC term. Sure. Uh, and uh, Owen uh, will be one of a million, not one in a million.
2: The the film, when I watch it, yeah, it reveals – I mean it shows a lot of the heartbreak and frustration – that you guys have experienced, I'm sure not a fraction of what you really had to go through, but it, it shows some of that, but it doesn't dwell on it. And no. what's refreshing about the film is that it's, it's very much Owen's story. He's very much the narrator of his own story. And it's, and ultimately mm-hmm. it's very hopeful. It's very optimistic. Um, it doesn't yeah. dwell on the, the difficulties that he has to face. It's how he overcomes them and, and the challenges. Yeah. He, he embraces those challenges and what he needs to do to move forward uh how important was it for you and for cornelia as parents how important was it for you to to share that story that that ultimately this is hopeful and optimistic despite everything that you have to go through to get there
3: well you know i mean yes very important because we we said this is what we know yeah you know when owen's diagnosed and in the view of others you know who are looking from the outside in oh my What a tragedy. Yeah. This thing that's happened. I feel so bad for you. After a while, we're like, that doesn't really track. And part of it, and so much of it, you see now in Owen. You know, you know, I mean, this is, people have called this the feel good family movie of the summer. Yeah. And also one that carries what anyone would call social purpose. And that's an extraordinary thing to watch. Because Owen is a a presence, he's a joyful presence, as he has been in our life. And the lives of people around us, our relatives, our friends, our little community. And that comes through in the movie. So
2: it's feel um, it's feel good just by
3: nature of the subject. And with any of his friends that we're with. I mean, you know, when you know when when we're with Owen and his buddies, the kids in Disney Club. That's mm-hmm. a beautiful scene in the movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, it's uh, it's like that old Baptist hymnal. You know, uh, uh, you know, I, you know, in heaven there are no distinctions there. Yeah. You know. Uh, there, what I find among people who are differently abled is they often have extraordinary clarity about what matters, that gives us joy, sustenance in this life. And we tend to judge them based on the yardstick of the things that are easily measurable. You know that particular kind of let's say you know analytical intelligence if you will which is pretty much the only yardstick that most people use because it's the one in which transactions can rest right. but you know a friend of ours at harvard is a guy named howard gardner who's the oh, guru sure. of multiple intelligence yeah absolutely you know and howard's a friend because i teach at harvard law school um, i teach a class there called public narrative and Justice, and certainly hope in the unseen from the start in the In the 1990s, the first book has been at the center of a lot of education debates, you know, and Howard talks about all the many ways in which intelligence are expressed uh, by human beings. And I said at one point to Howard, I said, boy, it would have been nice if we had built yardsticks for those others, you know, six or seven types of intelligences. Like, yeah, that would have been nice. It's hard to do because some of the best stuff is hard to measure certain kinds of intelligence. It's like yeah. catching sunlight in mason jars. It's hard. But that doesn't mean it's not there. And I think part of what people see in the movie are all the ways Owen expresses powerful capacity in areas that are hard to measure and because of that often not validated. Well, they're pretty well validated in this movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why people are so moved by it. they're like, "Wow, yeah, how could I have looked at a guy like that and looked right through him like how barely exists?
2: How can I look at them and not see them yeah,
3: and now and now, how will I look at them in the future exactly, and that's the big change that the movie's creating, and you see it when the lights come up in the theaters,
2: absolutely,
3: and all of a sudden people are looking around it's especially for folks who haven't lived the kind of life we have. It's like they go in in 90 minutes, they go through the journey we went on in over 20 years.
2: Mm. It's unreal. It must be incredible to
3: watch and to see those reactions. Oh, it's wild. It's wild. And then Owen bounds down and Roger Ross Williams, our director, who's an amazing, one of the truly brilliant filmmakers in America. Roger just goes down to the front of the room and he says, ladies and gentlemen, Owen Suskite. Oh, and bounds down onto the stage. And the theaters go crazy. People are up just cheering themselves hoarse. It's insane.
2: <laughs> you know? It must be so gratifying and, at the same time, though.
3: Well, and for him especially. You yeah. know, he's like, I want people to know me for who I am. And boy, they sure do now. Oh. And, you oh. know, and, and the first screening at Sundance, you know, when it happened for the first time, and we just were, you know, Cornelian Walter. That's the first time they saw the movie. Was at Sundance. Oh, really? Yeah, they. That was by design. That's what they decided. They wanted to see it with, you know, eight hundred people. First <laughs> time. Yeah. See, so, you know, I, I, I'm married to an audacious woman, you know, <laughs> and she has helped to create an audacious set of kids, and, um, and of course, you know you know, the people just cheer themselves, you know, just it's like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs in there and Walter runs down, you know, and Walter Suska, and Walter comes down and they cheer again. Yeah. Because in some ways they see through this movie, how Owen has tried to pattern his life after Walter. Walter of course is the only one Owen draws through all the years. He gives us all sidekick identities. I'm mm-hmm. um, either Merlin or Rafiki. Cornelia is either Mrs. Potts or Big Mama from Fox and the Hound. The, the wise and caring lady sidekicks.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: The only one Owen draws as a hero across the years in our household was Walter.
2: Mm. That's amazing.
3: You know, Walter was Simba. Walter was Aladdin. Yeah. Only one, only Walt. And that's and in that some way so much. Uh, uh, Owen now says, I, Owen is, says, I am the protector of the sidekicks, but originally it was Walter yeah. who he saw that way. And so then Walt bounds out, and Stacey, I know it, and, and people are cheering, and this happened once, and I just, it was beautiful, and and Walt says, "Hey, buddy, hey, <laughs> you oh, know, take a bow," and Owen with a with a thousand perfect bows in his head and that perfect memory of his, I think the first time he went with the Prince Charming bow, which is a specific one, yeah, <laughs> and everyone in the audience. says That's the Prince Charming, (laughs) and they go crazy again. Oh, that's amazing! That's amazing. (laughs) Well, you know, and it—it is core. It's about the power of fable in our life, the power of story. It's—it's all we got. It's what we use to make our way, and that's why we love movies. I think it's going to be a long time before we understand how, how. How powerfully shaping and formative these moving images are in making us who we are.
2: Yeah, they really—they're—they're they're forging the path. I mean, it's—it's it's helping us not only walk the path, but it's—it's it's creating the path in front of us in in so many instances. But,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's a—it's a beautiful process. Yeah. Um, I can't even a, imagine. So that's why we feel a great deal of joy here. You know, we're just. <laughs> Um, and we're keeping it under Katrina. Owen is very, you know, again, he, he's very clear eyed about this. He says, I am not a celebrity. I'm a person being celebrated. Yeah. Different.
2: That's such a healthy attitude.
3: Yeah. You know, it's, and he, he gins this up himself. I mean, because he, again, he's got that. just like a lot of folks who are differently abled. He has that very powerful uh, ability to recognize the largest patterns mm-hmm. of the way so we live our life and the way people are and the things that are important. Um, that's why that's where that's where they get it from, I guess. That's
2: phenomenal. Ron, I know we've run out of time with you. Um, well is, no,
3: this is this is terrific. I mean if you have is, any last questions, I mean I'm where it goes there anything on your list that you're thinking about.
2: Well I mean I just Maybe. wanna there is actually one I, I can ask you one, one last question. Um Yeah sure. So, somewhere out there today, it's probably yep. more than one, are parents who just received news that their kids are somewhere on the spectrum, whether it's severe yep. or mild or or wherever it might be. And as you know, there's probably a lot of internal panic right now and they they don't know what That's to right. do. They don't know where to turn. They, they don't they don't even know where to begin. With the experiences and the life that you've had and everything, you know, looking back on it all now, what would you tell them? Like, how, how could you hold their hand through that moment? That,
3: that what's the Well, co- you know, I'll tell you, not only would I, is this something that I um, have posited, it's something we do. Because since the book came out two years ago, uh, that has been the phone call we have had literally at this point, hundreds, maybe even more. A thousand a thousand times with parents, they contact us and they say just that very thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a kid. You know, I may have just gotten a diagnosis, or that kid may be six or eight. Um, what do I do? Uh, and and you know, after that started to happen two years ago when the book came out, you know, I you know we run every show in America then too. And um and I spoke in front of the UN General Assembly and then I spoke uh, to Congress, testified, and then NIH. The parents called. And after the you know, the hundredth call, of the hundredth parent, you know, often crying and showing powerful emotion, Cornelia and I got together and said, Well, what can we do? Right. And we have learned a great deal, which I talk about a lot in the book, it suggests it's certainly in the movie about how we learn to see Owen, often against our will, often slow, uh, and, uh, but we did. And, and so much of it driven by Cornelia's insights, that, that uh, loving what he loves is the way we're going to love him. That his passion here, and it was for Owen the choice was Disney, his passion will be his pathway. These are insights Cornelia came up with working with them day to day and once we realized that we uh, moved in a new direction a direction that is now reshaping uh, the view of how to uh, react to and deal with this difference that these children are beset with and um, uh, you know and, and what we did is is a uh, um, started to get to work so uh, uh, two years ago, around the time that Cornelia, in the movie where she's with Michelle Garcia-Winter, social thinking guru in California, mm-hmm. I flew out there too, and Corn and I got together, and I and I met the inventor, of Siri. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think I know what we need here, something that Cornelia and I had thought about before. We need uh, a, a new kind of uh, supportive communications platform to support uh, folks like Owen. Uh, This will allow parents to do what we did, but to do it instantly and to use whatever their passion is, whatever their affinity is as a pathway to connect with them, uh, to show the the crucial emotions in a way to parent them uh, by using whatever the kid already has embraced. Mm -hmm. Uh, because that taps the key thing, intrinsic motivation. So it could be Harry Potter or star Wars or Disney or Lego, any of them. Uh, and, and, and so we developed a new kind of communications platform that works on cell phones, a mobile app with a, with a, a uh, server architecture underneath it where, um, where, People can do what we did without, for instance, having to sit in the basement and watch Disney movies for 10 years. Because what we did is we loaded uh, thousands of clips that are favorite clips among the the often entertainment content and products that that these kids embrace and use as their vessel. Um, And and it's called Sidekicks. Owen named it. Mm. And so people are now starting to go to... They call Sidekicks.com, where they they can download a free app, a free platform to try uh, to do what we did. Um, it's born of a new way of thinking that is being supported by uh, lots of neuroscience research. Research is now has been launched since the uh, uh, you know by the book and the movie, um, and um, and and it allows parents to participate not just to see a movie and say, oh, that was nice for that one kid. Uh, to say, hey, I can try that too. Sure. Um, and it, it was really in response to just the question you now proffer. What can we tell parents, other parents, who may have circumstances different than ours, uh, who may have a kid who loves Star Wars instead of Disney or dinosaurs or astronomy? And... and. Um, and we felt like we should do more than just say, you know, here's how you should feel. We decided to say, here's what you might be able to do. Um, you know, and and, and, uh, and broadly, in terms of what we tell them is, you know, from a, a deep place of love and emotion, is that your life will change. Yeah. Um, the life you had before this moment when your child's diagnosed, that life will become a different life now, sure. but not one that is less.
1: Mm-hmm. Now
3: you different. wouldn't wish this on your kid. Certainly no one would. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact is, is that that child will continue to grow. They're not static. They're in motion. It may be down a pathway that is not certainly familiar to you now, uh, but in, in so many cases, what we find is that the child, as they grow into a young adult and adult, lead rather than follow, um, and for the rest of the family, um, uh, essentially they, they're they pressed to ask a deeper set of questions, the answers to which uh, provide, I think, the the deepest nourishment as to... Living the life of worth. And and that's and that's what we found. Is that and it was in there were several reviews have mentioned this, and one of the ones that Vanity Fair had a very nice one pager with a picture and a very nice write up guy named Bruce Handy. And he said, You know, what this film is about, uh, it's an investigation of what it means to be human. That's right. Owen set us on that investigation. As Walter often says, Owen was my best teacher. Is my best teacher. Hmm. That's what happened. And I'll just I'll just finish with this because it's a beautiful moment that happened just about a month ago. Is we were we were at uh, we were at Disney. And they screened the movie on the lot in Burbank. Wow. And animators. Yeah. Who drew the characters. As Owen says, I lived within these characters and now they live within me. Yeah, The people who actually created the characters are at the screen. And at one point, one of them stood up there in the Q&A and asked Owen about a key line in the movie that, that many people of all shapes and sizes take away where Cornelia at one point on the screen says, she says, Rod once said to me, who decides what the meaning life is? Right. And someone One of the animators asked Owen about that. And Owen said, I do. I decide. And of course, everybody felt their best selves emerge as they stood and they cheered. And that is actually right. That's accurate. That's amazing. And that's that's what these parents will find. And don't worry so much about what other people say you know best
2: ron thank you so much this has been so this is amazing um the film is like you say it is one of the feel-good movies of the summer ironically you don't really expect it going into it but it really is um i really really recommend everybody to check it out read the book watch the movie and just sort of um reaffirm the the beauty of life and that's really what it does and it's, uh, it well does said fun. my friend well said couldn't say better myself thank you so much for your time um it's been wonderful well
4: that's it for this week on the great big beautiful podcast thank you so much for tuning in and what a what that was such nice that was so nice talking to those two and hear really their story, and uh, you can really tell when you talk to them that, you know, this is a f- to a lot of people this is a documentary and a film and a peek in, but this is you know this is their life, right? It's not mm-hmm. just a film, and to hear it from their perspective, it's just it was beautiful.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's you know the stories that they tell and and the experiences that they've gone through, it's it's easy to sort of take the cynical view and say, oh, mm-hmm. they're just using that experience to you know sell a few books or right. to sell a few movie tickets but um i mean owen has spoken to the un i mean he's been on every every possible radio station and talk show and and television station and i mean he he is he is out there we didn't have him on this show so it's not like i don't want anyone to get the impression that his parents are doing all the speaking for him right um he is absolutely out there you know promoting the film, mm-hmm. but also, you know, promoting himself and speaking for himself and giving himself that voice that, that he was missing for so many right. years. Well, you can it's even, a-
4: e- even in the documentary itself, he's going to speak at a, at an autism forum. And I think it's yeah. an autism forum in France yeah. and he's, he's writing it himself and he tries to get his father to help him a little bit. And his father's like, no, you're writing it. You write yeah. it. And he gets him to write it. So he did, he is speaking 100% for himself yeah. with his own words. It's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, absolutely yeah it was it was a it was a pleasure to have them on and uh the film it we we've said this many times already but i mean it's a, it's a great insight into um into a world that many of us thankfully will never know um but that is no ex- just not having you know some somebody who's on the spectrum wherever that may be in your immediate family is not an excuse for not understanding what those families go through or what right. those people So this is like we said, it's just a glimpse in and it's not going to it's not like it's not going to tell you everything you need to know about autism. But it's Mm a it is a heartwarming story that is very hopeful and very optimistic and is very much told from Owen's perspective. And he is the narrator of his story, which is which is refreshing. So if
4: you get a chance, definitely go check the film out. Uh, Lifeanimateddoc.com is where you can find it. Jamie's going to link up if you want to look down on the post on geekdad.com. And thank you so much for coming to our podcast every week. Thank you for hitting subscribe. If you haven't hit subscribe, you need to do it. What are you waiting for?
2: I don't know what you're waiting for. You
4: can get us delivered to your device every single week, every Tuesday.
2: Every Tuesday and
4: sometimes twice a week. Yes. When when we've got extra stuff to share (laughs) with you guys. So, So thank you so much. You can reach out to us. Let us know what you thought uh twitter.com slash the gbb podcast or just at the gbb podcast same as facebook Facebook facebook.com slash the gbb podcast let us know your thoughts if you have any suggestions for future guests jamie has an ever-growing list that he is contacting so let us know and we'll we'll try to get someone in absolutely and i am justin at 140 justin c
2: i am jamie at the Roarbots.
4: and thank you for listening have a great week
2: take care
3: This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast
0: Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.